0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you could check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. I want to ask you, do you guys have a favorite cup at home? Does anybody have favorite cups? Yeah? Yeah. Yes, right? So some of you have the favorite cup where, you know, everybody in the house knows it's yours, right? We don't, you know, that's mijo's cup, right? That's papa's cup. We don't touch that. Okay, yeah, we can look at it. If at that last resort, nothing else is clean, he might let me touch it, right? But this is your cup you drink out of all the time, right? I have one of those cups. I've got this cup here. Uh, My dad gave it to me. He went on a road trip, went through Colorado, gave it to me, and I drink out of it. A lot and uh, what's funny is he forgot that he gave it to me one time and he's like hey where'd you get that cup and I was like this is my cup this is this is the one you gave me you gave me this cup please don't take my favorite cup away from me right so this cup I love this cup I drink coffee out of it I eat ice cream out of it sometimes I eat ice cream and coffee it's called an affogato it's amazing you need to try it it's all out of this cup I love this cup only good things get in this cup but this cup I don't like to share right You're, you have cups you don't like to share we have cups We're going to be talking about a cup this morning, a cup that Jesus did share with us, a cup that he gives to us when he established Holy Communion. We're going to talk about the cup that Jesus shares with us today. And we will be receiving communion today. So again, as we said earlier, uh, if you don't have it yet, grab your favorite cup, fill it with water, milk, juice, coffee, something good. And uh, make sure you also have some bread or crackers or chips or Oreos or whatever you have that's able to remind you of Jesus' sacrifice. And we're going to be going through that today. So grab your cups as we jump into the Word today, and God reveals to us what He talks to us about when we look at communion. This morning, it's my pleasure, like I said, to share this holy ordinance that Jesus established for the church. Uh, We are part of the Assemblies of God denomination, and in our denomination, we have two ordinances of the church. We have Holy Communion, and does anybody else know what the other one is? water baptism those are our two ordinances other churches call them sacraments we have two of them holy communion and baptism those are the things that we know that jesus has commanded us as the church to do so we will be receiving communion today we are honoring jesus and obeying him by receiving and we will be having baptism in two weeks honoring the lord and baptizing the baptizing those who are wanting to to tell the world I belong to Jesus. And so these are the things that Jesus set up for us. So as we get into the word, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we go to God's word. Lord Jesus, we love you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, now into this place. God, into this space that we have created. God, as a time to gather with you, Whether we're here right now in this building or we're all across the U.S., Lord, or right here in Madeira, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would penetrate our hearts, that you would speak directly to us. Allow us to receive your word today as the word of life to our hearts. You are the one we need to transform everything in us. Help us, Jesus, to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love others as we love ourselves. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to be jumping in, and as always, I love to talk about Markian sandwiches. There is a little one here, a little mini sandwich that we're going to be looking at as well as we dive in there. Just keep that in the back of your mind as we walk through this. Starting in verse 22, it says this, And they were eating, and he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink it again, drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So here is Jesus and his disciples, and they are all 12 of them. Uh, Judas is still in the mix at this point, and Jesus is enjoying Passover, a Passover meal with them. So if you don't know what Passover is, it talks about it in his, uh, Exodus chapter 12. It's, it's remembering when God delivered the people of Egypt, uh, people of Israel, out of Egypt, out of this bond, bondage and slavery. And there was the, the plagues that rolled out. And the last one was this, that God said, I will take out your firstborn son. Uh, and the angel of death will come around to wipe out every firstborn in Egypt. And he said, Israel, this would happen unto you too unless... Unless you smear the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, the lamb that you will sacrifice and eat during the Passover meal. And this is, they, this is what happened. The people of Israel, they honored God. They, they had a lamb without blemish or spot or issue or defect whatsoever. And they, after, on Passover night, they killed it, smeared its blood on the doorposts, and ate the lamb. And the, the angel of death came by, saw the sign of the blood, and passed over their house, and no one was, was killed in the house. Everyone was saved. And this is the, this is the, the Passover that they're celebrating. They're remembering. And the disciples are sitting there eating with Jesus. Little did they know that they are dining with the lamb who would be their Passover lamb. Little did they know that the one that they were, rem- the, the, the significant thing that they were remembering in Egypt being delivered from bondage and sin, they were sitting with the one who was about to do that for them in real time and they were breaking bread with him and then they were drinking like the same cup with jesus and it's so powerful it's so wonderful and jesus is celebrating this festival with him and saying hey you guys don't even know but this is actually about me this is about me what's going on here and what's a, what's amazing about passover is that when uh when they were supposed to they would celebrate passover the people would come and gather a lamb. The lamb would live with them in their home for four to five days, depending on when Passover fell, when they brought it in. And they, during that time, they would examine the lamb. They would look at the lamb. They would make sure there's no defect, there's no blemish. We want to make sure we're, we're sacrificing a perfect lamb because we don't want to dishonor God. This is the command he said. The lamb has to be perfect. So they would live with them. They would watch it. They would examine it for four days. And do you know that when Jesus came in Palm Sunday, triumphant, He went into the temple, then for four days, the the scribes, the Pharisees, and those who were around him would listen to him teach, and they would examine him, examine his words, examine his teaching, and finding no fault in him. They didn't even know that they were examining the Lamb of God, that they didn't know it, that Jesus, the one who would be their Passover, would be the one that they were examining and scrutinizing, and little did they know they didn't find any defect in him. And Jesus is this Passover lamb for them. So they begin to sit down, and as he's sitting at the table with his disciples for the last time before he's tortured uh, on the cross and put to death, he shares the bread and the cup. Now, I want to talk about the symbolism here because there's a lot of symbolism in this. But first I want to talk about the bread. Jesus tells us that the bread is his body. Those are his words, his body broken for us. And when we have the bread, we understand uh, his words. Jesus, earlier on, said that he is the bread of life. Do you remember? In the other gospels as well, he says, I'm the bread of life. And, and the bread signifies that it nourishes and brings life to us. John's gospel calls Jesus the word of God. In the beginning was the word, word was god and was with was with god and so we make the transition here from uh, understanding jesus is the bread of life and the word of god and we understand that the bread of life to us is the word of god to us amen when we open up scripture that we call it our daily bread right so when we pray the prayers uh, that Jesus told us to pray and has taught his disciples, give us this day our daily bread. Not only is he talking about daily nourishment, eating actual physical bread, we get that from the Lord as well. He provides for us. But he also we're also praying, help us to digest the word of God daily. That's why we encourage people to read, your, read scripture daily because it will nourish you, it will transform you, it will renew you, it will strengthen you, it will help you through difficult times, it will guide you in the direction you should go. And daily we should take in the word of God. It is your daily bread. Do you eat every day? Do you get hungry every day? Well, the spirit also needs to be fed and it's fed off the bread of life, the word of God. It's easy to make that transition. We can see that. We also know that Isaiah says that when his body was broken, that was uh, beaten, that we receive healing from that. His body uh, ripped open. His stripes, we claim. By his stripes, we are healed. We like to pray that a lot when we're sick. Come on, anybody else do that? Man, I'm sick. I don't feel good. By his stripes. I. You got to get a little Pentecostal in there. You get a little rag and you throw it. By his stripes. You get a little sick, right? "Uh -uh, Not today, Isaiah said, right? So we understand that when we receive the bread in communion, we're understanding his body broken so that I would be whole. Not only just physically, do you understand that he's also talking about the community at large? Because your body might not be broken, but your relationships might. You might have issues in community, with family, with with parents and children, and you eat the bread and you remember, I am speaking unity in the body of Christ and in my family and in my neighborhood. Come on, somebody. So we understand the bread, and it's easy for us to to digest that and chew on that a little bit, figuratively and literally, right? We can chew on that a little bit. But what does the cup represent? I want to talk to us today about the cup because I believe there's something in this cup that we need to know about as followers of Jesus, especially in the time that we're in today. We're we're going to be looking at this cup and what Jesus had for us. Jesus tells us that the cup represents his blood of the new covenant established for us. So we understand that now, no longer is it about sacrificing animals to find for forgiveness and repentance of sin, but his blood is a new covenant with us so that we have forgiveness of sin. Now we have freedom from bondage and from slavery. Amen. The, the doorposts. Uh, that was in Passover, allowing the angel of death to pass over, now is the doorpost of our hearts, and we apply the blood of Jesus to our hearts so that the death angel of sin would pass over us and no longer be able to have claim over us. We understand that. We receive that. We, when we receive communion, we drink that in and say, we thank you, Jesus, for all the benefits that you give us, all the good things, all the wonderful things that, that you promised us when you went to the cross. We receive it now. Yes, that is in the cup and we even talk about the blood of Jesus. I remember growing up I remember my mom praying this every time we had some something going on She would always say I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus I don't really know what plead really means. I I mean, I understand what it means Kind of it means you're applying it, but it just sounded better when you pleaded it somehow You know what I mean? It was just it was more powerful when it was pleaded Then applied. I don't know how it worked, but but uh, but I remember praying that as a kid. But I I think there's more into the cup that we that we can live out daily more than just saying the prayer. I plead the blood or I apply the blood. What does it mean to walk in it? What does it mean to look like you are covered by the blood of Jesus? What does it look like? The cup is something more in the Gospel of Mark as we look at the Gospel of Mark and Jesus. He, says about, he talks about the cup a lot of times. In chapter 10, when James and John came to Jesus and said, can we sit at your right hand, your left hand? You remember that? We sit at your right and the left, and Jesus like, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they're like, yep, not knowing what he's talking about. They're thinking a physical cup. Like, yeah, that cup right there, I can drink out of that cup. Sure. Is that all it takes? Give me that cup, right? They don't understand that Jesus is talking about punishment, wrath, and suffering. That's the cup he's talking about. There's something else in this cup more than just benefits, more than just happiness and goodness. There's something else that Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, you need to know what's in this cup. He talks about it with James and John. Also, if you look at Old Testament prophets, when they talk about Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the Psalms, talks about cups. And every time it talks about a cup, it talks about the wrath of God. It talks about suffering, And it talks about punishment. This is a cup that Jesus is talking about. There is this cup being spoken of, representing Jesus' blood that would be spilled on the cross for us, taking the punishment and the wrath for sin. Not his sin. He was perfect. But for your sin and my sin and the whole world's sin, he took upon himself. And he drank of that cup when he went to the cross. Not for anything that he had done, but everything that we had done. And the word, interestingly enough, there's, several, there's two different words in the Greek that means cup. And Mark uses one word specifically throughout his entire gospel about the cup. And what that word means in Greek is this. It means that there is a, it's a metaphor representing one ex, one's experience or lot in life that God presents them to drink, whether favorable or unfavorable, whether joyous or painful. And Jesus shares this cup with us in communion. But my question is, what's in the cup for us? Maybe you're like me. You have your favorite cup. You only put good things in this cup. And maybe you're hoping that the cup that Jesus shares with us is only filled with goodness, only filled with joy, never filled with pain or sorrow or suffering. Right? We only want good things in our cup, Jesus. Only give me the good things. Only share the good things in your cup with me. But it seems as I read Mark's gospel, understanding how Mark writes and how he connects the stories of the text so well together in these sandwiches that he lays out for us, it causes me to rethink everything that's in my cup and if I'm still willing to drink it if Jesus gives it to me. Let me explain as we continue to read the word of God. Verse 26 says this, and when they sung a hymn, how many of you love hymns? Jesus has been singing them forever. He might have sang oceans too. I don't know. I mean, that could have been his jam too. I don't know. But they sang a hymn, and and then he went to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, even though all of these disciples, he basically saying, even if all these losers fall away, I will never fall away. I am stronger. I am more intelligent. I am more brave than all the rest of them. Even if they fall away, I will not, he says. And Jesus says in verse 30, truly, I tell you this very night, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said empathetic, or emphatically, I, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. All of them said the same. Jesus had just shared with his disciples the first communion and immediately afterwards he told them, you will fall away and you will suffer loss. He says, here's my cup. It's filled with good things but there's also some suffering in here. There's also some pain. There's also some loss. There's also some difficulty. Are you still willing to drink it? What is their response? We will not fall away. We will not suffer loss. We will not walk away. We are strong. We are confident in ourselves. But do you ever notice that Jesus tells them you're gonna fall away, but don't worry. After I'm dead, I will rise again, and I'll meet you in Galilee. But what's interesting is they don't focus on the promise of the latter part. They focus on what they heard about their suffering. And they said, nope, I don't even hear about the promise. I'm more concerned about my suffering. You think, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lose my master. I'm not going to lose my teacher. See, they were still thinking Jesus has come to overthrow Rome, and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom, and we're going to be a part of this. And Jesus just told them that's not how it's going to work. And that was disappointing and hurtful and painful for them. And they said, no, we will not pay part, partake in that. We don't want that. And they completely min, missed the promise of, but on the other side, I will be with you. But on the other side of this, I'll meet you, and I'll be with you. How is it sometimes that we get so focused on the present-day suffering that we forget the promise that is on the other side of it? How many times do we get so focused, so confident in ourselves that we almost completely neglect the need of the promise of God in our lives? We get so strong, so confident. I can handle it. I can do this. I'm, I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I'm more capable. I can do this. And Jesus says, no, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to have to fight. You're still going to suffer loss. But on the other side of it, I'll meet you. On the other side of it, the disciples were so confident in themselves in themselves, that they didn't heed the warning, nor did they hear the promise. They didn't he- heed the warning or hear the promise. Isn't it interesting? They were so confident. They were so sure of themselves. They, even couldn't, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. They were so confident in themselves that they didn't heed the warning of their master or even feel the need for his promise. Have you been so confident in yourselves before that you're like, oh, Jesus promises this and that, and he'll take care of it? Well, I, I'm taking care of myself. I, I'm working. I got a job. What I, I it's almost it's so arrogant of us to think that we are the ones who provide good things for ourselves. And Jesus says, when it all comes crashing down, then you're gonna blame me when you were when you thought you were the one who were making it happen anyway. And now when it's not there, where has God gone? Why hasn't God provided? And he's saying, You're gonna suffer through things. But look on the other side of it. Look on the other side of it. It sounds a lot like us in the american church or well, pre-covid anyway but i think that there is a stripping away that's happening in this season that god is wanting to remove some stuff the bible says he will shake everything that can be shaken and what is remaining is the thing that will stand firm in him and i believe there is a shaking that's happening right now a stripping away So that Jesus can say, you thought you had it all together, but now you're walking through suffering and pain and hardship. But will you stay faithful to the promise on the other side of it? And Jesus is saying that to us today. I find it interesting Peter's response. Even if I must die for you, I'll never deny you. I've heard people say that before. I'm ready to die for Jesus. My question for you is, are you ready to live for him? Can you live for him? It's easy to to romanticize being martyred for Jesus, rather than remember day in and day out I must stay faithful, regardless if it's painful or hard, or I gotta I gotta carry my cross, I gotta crucify my flesh. It's not about me. It's about others. It's easier to say, just kill me now, like Elijah said when he was working and then he heard that uh, Jezebel wanted to kill him, and he had done mighty things for God, and he's like, I can't keep doing this. Just kill me now. There's some of us who are like just kill me now god I'd rather be in heaven than deal with all these jerks. I mean honestly sometimes we have that mentality. Come now lord Jesus I'm tired of these people. And Jesus saying, "Yeah you say you can die for me but are you willing to live for me?" Deny yourself, pick up your cross. Suffering in the struggle to remain faithful, to remain hopeful when everything else is hopeless, to stay committed to holiness and righteousness and right living, even when everything is crumbling around you. Are you willing to drink that cup? Are you willing to drink the cup? Thank you, Jesus, for your promises. Thank you for your goodness. Wait, what else is in there? Suffering. Hardship. I don't know I don't know are we willing to drink the cup if Jesus hands it to us do we trust him enough to know that he knows what's best for us see when my child comes and he's thirsty I give him what's in the cup he trusts me to drink that I'm not giving him spoiled milk right sometimes I got to check it because it might have been left in the back seat for a while and I got to make sure is this still good milk right But he's trusting me. He's trusting me to give him good things for him. right? Do we trust Jesus enough that when he hands us the cup of communion with him, that he knows what's best for us? That he knows what's best for us. Here we see the disciples ready to drink the cup that Jesus offers them when it's filled with joy and with good things. But when struggling is there, when suffering might be present, then they push back the disciples looked right past the fact that he gave them a promise of the other side and they denied the need for it. Have you ever heard people, sometimes a word of faith movements, it's like, well, if you name it, you claim it. If you don't claim it, you don't get it. Almost this idea of like, oh, I could hear the disciples if they're word of faith. Like, oh no, Lord, we don't claim that. We don't receive that. Uh Uh-uh, not, nope. We don't receive it. As if like, that's all it takes it's like you get a, it's, a, it's like a, a package from Amazon, shows up on your doorstep, don't want it. He says, what is that, punishment, suffering? No, nah, take it back. Like you can, re- Jesus is saying, I didn't tell you to rebuke it. I told you that as you go through it, I'll meet you on the other side of it. But for us, it's easier to say, no, send it back. This is, what's in this cup? That's not what I ordered, send it back. Who made that? There's lipstick on the cup. That's, that's my dad's story all the time. He goes to the restaurant hair in there, what is that, fly? Whose cup is this? Not my cup. I didn't order that, right? We want to push it away, but Jesus is saying, I didn't tell you to deny it. I told you that as you walk through it, I'll be on the other side of it. It wasn't about rejecting the hard things to come. It was about remembering the promises on the other side of the hard things. Sometimes we stand at the face of hard things. We try to rebuke them away, but Jesus is saying, focus on what I'm telling you. He wants our attention on him. And the promises that he will be with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he is always with us. John 16, says this, that he says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We have, he has overcome and we have overcome with him. He didn't just say that life would be easy or comfortable, that we would be granted all the things that we want, that we would have trouble. We would have suffering and pain, but it would take heart to overcome them. Heart in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. And I just want to say those who are suffering now with sickness or pain or infertility or cancer, or divorce or death in the family, Jesus brings comfort to you today. He brings comfort you today. And he will see you through it to the other side of the struggle and your pain. Hang on to Jesus. You're going to make it. Because the world we live in, because of this world, we have to go through these things. And Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have storms or suffer loss, but he did say that he would be with us. And Jesus knows this struggle firsthand. Jesus experienced this struggle. I told you there was a sandwich, Markian sandwich. Verse 32 is the other side of this sandwich. It says that Jesus placed, uh, he went to the place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane was the place where they pressed or crushed the olives to, fi- to create olive oil. Jesus was going there as he prayed. He was being crushed. He was being squeezed. The Bible tells us that he dripped, sweated drops of blood. There was a crushing happening in the, in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. I am going a little further. And and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. This cup again, this cup. He knew that in the cup there was pain. He knew that in the cup there was suffering. And he said, God, Father, if there's some way that you can move this cup from me, that I don't have to drink it, I ask you to do it. But not my will, but your will be done. Do you know that in Jesus there's two natures, the Godhead nature and human nature, because he's 100% human and 100% God. He couldn't have one nature overshadow the other, so he had to learn how to submit his human nature to the will of the God nature in him. And you and I still have to do that every day, don't we? When we come to Jesus, we are born again. Our spirit is born again. Now we have the heart and the will of Jesus inside of us, but we still have our flesh. We still have that struggle. And we can look at Jesus's example in the garden and say, God, I don't want to suffer. I don't want pain. I don't want hardship. I don't want struggle. If you're willing, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knows the struggle, and he was able to obey and follow follow God to the cross. And now he's asking us, will you drink this cup? Even if you know there might be hardship ahead, there might be pain ahead, there might be some, some suffering ahead, are you still willing to drink this cup? He struggled with it, but because Jesus, fully God, fully man, submitted, he learned how, the Bible tells us, he learned submission even unto death. Death on the cross. He knows the struggle we have every day to bring our flesh under subjection to the will of God because he wrestled to. In the garden, we saw it. If you're born again, you have that same struggle, the struggle to submit our lives to Jesus regardless of the cost, regardless of the, the cost of pain or loss or suffering or disappointment or hurt or rejection or abandonment or hardships of any kind. Are we willing, church, to endure whatever it takes to hang on to the promise of God? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I believe we're in a moment of shaking. God is allowing this pandemic and the civil unrest in our nation to shake us, and all that will be shaken, uh, all that can be shaken will be shaken and stripped away. But what, we, but what will we do about it? Will we be faithful and hold on to Jesus, or we grow, will we grow so worrisome or anxious or stressed or hurt or bitter that we'll turn our backs on him? What will we do? What will you do? When all of this chaos continues beyond the point where you think it's enough, enough's enough, what will you do? If Jesus is still wanting to address some things and still wanting to strip away some things in you, but you're fed up already and you're tired of it. I'll tell you the truth. I'm already fed up and tired of it. But I still believe Jesus is still stripping things away in me that needs to be stripped away. And do I stay faithful? Or do I push the cup away and say, now enough's enough. This has gone on too long. What is Jesus going to do in us? Perhaps Jesus is trying to strip away all these false senses of security we have, reveal our vulnerabilities as Christians that we thought we were strong and we are not. Mark is strategic about his writing, and we know that uh, as we've been going through this series that their their stories are connected one to each other, not by happenstance. He always puts them there for a reason. And in the following, after Jesus is arrested in the garden and Peter tries to chop off the guy's ear, Right, Mark adds this very strange little short passage that I was like, what is this about until I began to read it through this lens of suffering. And Mark says this, there's a young man followed Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. If we read this story in connection to Jesus' words about the cup of suffering, that we will all drink in this life, could it be that Mark is implying that there is something in the suffering that exposes our weaknesses and reveals to us the great need we have for Jesus? Could it be That as we are seeking to pursue Jesus, we have wrapped ourselves in things that we thought we needed to follow him. We wrapped ourselves in self-importance. We wrapped ourselves in pride. We wrapped ourselves in Christianese talk. We wrapped ourselves in doing always the right thing before people, but in secret, we're not doing the right thing. And Jesus said, I'm going to strip that away from you and expose the nakedness so that you can be saved. So that you will be a church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, without defect. Could it be that Mark is implying that as we are following Jesus, as we start going through struggle, the struggle strips away everything that is not of God, that we don't need in our lives? Will we be exposed? Yes. Will it be painful? Yes. Will it hurt? Yes. Will it be a struggle? Yes. But it is a beautiful thing that Jesus does for us because he knows we don't need those things. We just need him. We need his presence. We need his life. We don't wrap ourselves up in self-importance and a false sense of goodness and security. Jesus says those things will be stripped away. What can be shaken will be shaken. It reminds me of Revelation chapter 3, verses 17, when Jesus is speaking to the lukewarm church, Laodicea, and he says this, you say, I am rich, I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I think this is the church in America. Before all of this shaking began to say, we said, we are rich, we have prospered. We need nothing. Not realizing that we are wretched. We are pitiful. We are poor. We are blind and we are naked. And Jesus is saying, I'm a yourself." And then he counsels them and he counsels us. Come to me and buy gold, refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Could it be that in this hour we find ourselves in that Jesus is allowing us to see our wretchedness and our brokenness and our nakedness so that we can turn to him to be healed, to be restored, to be purified and to be clothed with righteousness. Could it be? But We must be willing to drink this cup that's before us. Are you willing, church? Are you willing to deny yourself, to endure suffering at the hands of the unrighteous and come out on the other side? Are we willing? Are we willing? 1 Peter 4.16 reminds us of the sufferings of Christ. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let the name of Jesus in your life bring God glory through the way that you endure and push through suffering. He says this, For it is time, this is what's powerful, I think this is what God's doing, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? There is a sense that when judgment comes, it comes to the house of God first. And we thought, no, 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 we don't. We only want goodness. We only want joy. We only want peace. We only want comfort. And Jesus says, no, first there comes judgment. First, I need to skim off the junk in your life. And that only happens through suffering, through enduring the hardship that comes through pressing through, denying ourselves. It's not easy to deny yourself. It's not easy to prefer the other above yourself. And he says, will you walk through this? Are you willing to drink this cup? Because yes, there is suffering involved, but yes, there's also the promises. Yes, there is goodness. Yes, there is life. Yes, there is joy found in the cup. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to drink it. I've had to wrestle with it. I had to wrestle within myself. Knowing what it means to deny myself, knowing what it means to face my weaknesses and my shortfalls. And it's not easy. But I'm willing to drink the cup. Because I want to come out on the other side. Knowing the promises of God. Knowing the promises of God for my for my family, for my marriage, for my boys, for this church. I want, it's painful, but I want to go through it. I want to press through. This cup, the Bible says, the theologians say about this cup, that it's beautiful and wonderful, but also dangerous because it's going to cause some things to die in you that you might not want to die. But I'll hold on to the promise that Jesus will meet me on the other side. There is no other place. It's like when Jesus told the large crowd, and they kept coming to him for more food and more food. He says, are you willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood? And they said, hold up, this guy is crazy. And they left. And then he turns to his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says this, where else is their life? Where else can we go? And that's what I want to say to Jesus. It may be painful. It may be hard to drink this cup. But where else is their life? Where else can I go? Jesus, I trust you. I'll drink it. Whatever it takes, God. Whatever it takes. For those of you who are watching this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus gives you the opportunity to drink of the cup. He invites you to be a part of his family and a part of his body. And maybe you're going through hardship right now, and maybe you you don't like it. And Jesus is saying, well, if you're going through it, then, then allow yourself to join this where I can I can carry these things with you, and I can bring you deliverance, and I can bring you hope and freedom. Where else can you turn to find life but in Jesus? He says if you're broken, you're hurting, you're bound up by sin, you're lost. You have no hope. You have no way to look. You don't know where to look or turn. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. And although there is some suffering involved, there will be hardship. The benefits of knowing Jesus far outweigh all the things that we could ever encounter in this life. So I want to extend the opportunity for you to know Jesus today. I want to let you know that it's a free gift, but it might cost you everything. It might cost you your comfort but you'll gain so much in return. So if that's you right now, I want to pray with you. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am broken and undone. I need a savior. Come right now into my life. Transform me from the inside out. I'm tired of living the way I have. I need a Savior. I need you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And make me new today. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cvcmadera.churchcenter.com for more information. We love you.